last night, like literally even one minute of still suffering seriously from jet lag. So everything I'm giving this morning is purely the Holy Spirit. <laughs> uh, just also, I just felt to um, share a very strange left field testimony. Um, last night, <clears throat> last two nights actually, Namila has been really struggling with nightmares um, because of the airplane trip back. They've got all these TV screens everywhere on the plane, all these little screens, and she saw stuff on different people's TV screens, and she's been dreaming about what she saw ever since. And it was felt like a real demonic attack on her. Um, so last night, Zandi and I prayed for her a number of times, and she kept waking up. And eventually, I felt like the Lord gave me uh, a word of knowledge that I need to, to just uh, put some worship music on in her room. And I did that. And the demonic dreams left. Um, and she, when I asked her about it this morning, she said she didn't have any demonic dreams after that. And every time she would wake up, she would just be filled with joy. And I was just reminded of what a beautiful gift worship actually is. Um, worship is actually all about Jesus. But there's this amazing thing that as we look to Jesus, we are refreshed and we are filled with joy. And it's a weapon. It's a weapon of warfare. Um, and so I want to encourage you in that as well. When you're feeling heavy, when you're feeling under attack, worship Jesus. And I loved what Liam was saying about, you know, going to the U.S. and doing some sightseeing and touring all the sites and actually hoping to get refreshed, but actually feeling totally drained after all the sightseeing. And the time that he actually got refreshed was when he got to the church and he was with the saints. And I really witnessed with that because we did a lot of shopping <laughs> in the U.S. Um, yeah, please don't let my shoes be a temptation to you to fall. It's not, about, it's not about shoes. It's about Jesus. Amen? Uh, but you know what I found? Like, with, There's a lot of materialism in the U.S. It's, they're not the only ones. Um, but it really didn't give me joy. I'll tell you that much. It actually saps joy. Materialism and and concerning yourself and obsessing over the things of this world, although they're like delightful to the eyes, they actually don't bring you joy. And I felt, at one stage, I felt like actually for myself and just for us, you know, there are a lot of things to see in the U.S., but actually they're not refreshing. And I felt like an encouragement to us as well. Remember that Jesus is the only source of refreshment. And actually, kingdom is very counterintuitive. Oftentimes, it's the thing that you think is going to be exhausting for you. If it's with Jesus and with, the, with his people, it's actually the most refreshing. And his people, being with God's people, is also refreshing to our souls. Um, and sometimes we feel intimidated by being with people, maybe even introverted tendencies or whatever, and you think it's going to be exhausting. But actually, when we're with God's people delighting in Jesus together, there's nothing more refreshing for your soul. The reason why I keep talking about refreshing <laughs> is because um, I really feel like this morning I want to share some testimonies about what happened in the U.S., but with a purpose of giving us vision for what God's called us to here in Cape Town. I don't want you to feel at the end of this morning like all you really got out of it was you wished you were in the U.S. That's not the point. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is God has called us here to, to, for, a, for a reason, and I feel like the Lord even wants to speak over us this morning. Um, how he sees us and what he's called us to. Before I forget, Kristen had a word she needed to share before us. But don't you want to come up and, and share that? 
Hi. So when I was in worship, I was closing my eyes, um, and I had my glass, and I was like, how strange is that I have glasses on, but my eyes are closed. And then I felt like God say that in this service, and what Luke is going to share and everybody else, that God's actually going to birth, wanting to birth something new, and he's going to give us a fresh um, set of glasses. But if we keep our eyes closed, we're actually not going to see what he has in store for us. So I think the warning is, is let's choose to keep our eyes open and actually walk in what God has in store for us today. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, so one of the biggest encouragements that came from the church in the U.S. to us as a team when, they, when we left, I was like, so what was it like? How, how did, you know, was there anything we could have done differently? You know, what, what was it like having a team coming in? And uh, Peter said to me, man, the thing that you guys really brought to us was refreshing. You guys were, we brought encouragement and you brought refreshing. We feel refreshed. And uh, one of the things I feel like the Lord has called us to as a congregation is to be a place of refreshing. That people will be refreshed by you. People will be refreshed by us. And, and our refreshment um, for other people doesn't come from our personalities or charisma or any of that stuff. It comes from being refreshed ourselves in Jesus. Amen? And so I feel like the Lord has called us to be a refreshment station, refreshment station. Um, for unbelievers that people who don't know Jesus would find Jesus in us because of the refreshing that they find in us, but, but also for Christians, that Christians would come and be refreshed uh, by seeing Jesus along with us. Amen? So I feel like that's something that Lord's um, wanting to speak over us prophetically. There's a number of things I'm feeling the Lord wanting to speak over us as a congregation prophetically. And so one of the things that I found for myself was... Like, in our time overseas, I w we were in different churches. And, you know, when you're involved in different churches and helping them on the ground to, to, to build God's kingdom, God actually gave me a fresh perspective on his kingdom and what he wants to do here in Cape Town. And so I felt like the Lord wanted to speak into two things um, into us. The one being his kingdom and the other being community. Kingdom and community. And so kingdom is all about the big picture. It's all about God's kingdom coming on the earth. It's about nations. It's about, you know, God desires all men to be saved. And that's, that, that's millions of people we're talking about. That's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is advancing. And we know that Jesus is a king and he's going to rule over a new nation. So there's the big picture. There's, that's got to do with mission. It's got to do with calling. And then on the other hand, you've got community. That's small. That's small picture. That's relationship. That's love. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's working out relationship with people and caring for people. Picking up on the needs. Seeing the small things in people's lives. And loving one another in meaningful ways. Jesus would say, for example, that whatever you do for the least of these my brothers, you're doing it for me. And what I've noticed is that churches and we as a people tend to either get preoccupied with one or the other. Some of us are very mission-orientated people. It's all about the calling. It's about the vision. It's about achieving stuff and leaving a legacy before I die, right? It's about changing the world and, and for Jesus, you know. Uh, 
That's got to do with kingdom, which is great. But others of us are preoccupied with community, with the small picture. You just basically see the people, maybe even in your literal home group, you know, the relationship, and you go deep together, and you build strong relationship together, you know, and you just love that aspect to church. And that's also beautiful, but you can do it at the expense of kingdom. And I feel like the Lord wants to massage into us kingdom and community. You've got to have both. Because when, when the kingdom grows and people get saved and added, what do they get added into? Community. And almost nine times out of ten, when you speak to somebody that's joined this church, and you say, you know, what was it that caused you to join this church? Nine times out of ten, they'll say, Man, I was so loved here. I was so lonely. I came into this church and people loved me and that's why I joined. Community. They found family. And probably that's all of our reasons. Probably the primary reason why I'm still here (laughs) is because you guys are my family, you know. I mean, even when we were in the U.S., you know, there's, um, there's there's a lot of pull factors there. There's a lot of draw factors to one to be there. But I could, I could never just up and off and go to the U.S. right now because of you guys. That's the only reason why I want to be here is because of you. Because I feel loved here and I, feel, I belong here and you, my, you are my people, right? Um, South Africa doesn't have a lot of other pull factors for me personally. <laughs> it's got a lot of push factors. But you guys are the biggest pull factor. You know, and, and every time, you know, what pastors are like, they'd always try and steal people. They were like, oh, you must come and join our church. You know, we, we've got, we, you'll, you'll do well here. It's like, no, I could never leave city because my people are here. You know, you guys are here. And that's the reason why I'm here, because of community, because I'm loved here, because you guys care about me, right? True, eh? Yeah. <laughs> just checking, just checking. But, you know, one of the things that really wrecked my heart when I was in the U.S., you know, you you speak to lots of people, and one of the common stories you hear is people would say, you know, I'd be like, how did you join this church? In both churches, we went to South South Carolina and Heritage. And people would always say a story something like this. You know, I've been in church my whole life, and I got so disillusioned in church because it was religion, but I, I didn't experience the life of Jesus. And so I, would go to, I went to another church, and I went looking for Jesus. I went to church, to church, to church, to church, to church. But all I got was programs, religion, preaching, but no Jesus. And I got desperate. I got disillusioned. This is a common story. And then I came to this church, and I experienced the life of Jesus. And they talk about that church like it's Jesus himself. It's like they got saved. And what I basically realized is people are starving for the presence of Jesus. They're looking for the presence of Jesus. They know they need the presence of Jesus. They know they're looking for the living water, and they're literally like dying of thirst in the churches. And they would, say, they would go into detail of all the churches they went to and how many years they were looking. And they found the presence of Jesus. And I, I was just wrecked. I was like, man, these poor, these poor people in this country, they're looking for Jesus. They can't find him, even in the church. Um, and I, I was, it really like upset me. It, I was very disturbed. By, I, mean, I was happy for the church, but I was thinking, but what about the rest of the millions of people? You know, and as, as we go from church to church, we just realize the need for healthy churches where people can just go and find 
the presence of Jesus. Churches in the U.S. are run like businesses, essentially. It's like a, just a well-run business. Got marketing, hiring and firing on the newspapers. It's, it's just very weird. Um, but, and I was quite overwhelmed by the task that God, you know, the church has in the U.S. And then I felt the Lord turning the tables on me and saying, yeah, that's true. What about Cape Town? And I, I began to think about Cape Town differently again. He's like, you don't think that's also the case here in Cape Town? It's exactly the same here. People are thirsty for the living water. People are hungry for the living bread. People say the same thing about this church. They come in here and they experience the presence of Jesus and they're like, what is this? I've never experienced this before. People, you know, one of the most common feedback I get from visitors in this church. So I came into this church and I saw so many happy, joyful people and I got suspicious. It's like, it's not normal for people to be so happy. And I've even had people ask me, like, how do you get your people to be so happy? Like, some of you are sitting here that have said that to me. You know, it's like, it's too good to be true. It's not, but we've experienced, experienced the living Jesus. And we take that joy for granted. We, it's our normal. But actually, in the world, people are starving for the living bread. They, they're dying of thirst for the living water. That is Jesus. And you know that, uh, G, you know, do, do you know that Jesus actually wants the whole of Cape Town to be saved? <laughs> I mean, it's great that we're here. You're aware of that factor. He actually wants every single person in this city to be saved. So I felt the Lord challenging me. What, what is your vision for the city that you live in? What is your vision? Are you content with a lack of church? Or, or do you see what I see? Jesus said, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, the world, the whole world, every single person in the world, every single person, however many, many million people there are in this city, how many million people are there in this city? Anyone know? Seven. Seven million. We'll take Hans's word for it. He wants all 7 million people in our city. And we can talk about the cities of the world, but let's be honest. This is our city, isn't it? This is our home. And God wants every person, all 7 million people in this city, to experience the joy that we've experienced. To find the treasure that we have found. And so my challenge to you is what is your vision for this city? What do you see? Because that's what Jesus sees. And I mean, as I was thinking about this, I mean, if you know anything about me, I'm a strategic thinker. So as soon as the Lord shows me this, I'm like, okay, cool, Lord, I got, I got you. So let me just figure out a quick strategy to save all 7 million people in Cape Town, right? What program can we put in place? You know, what, what strategy can we adopt? What method can we try to save all 7 million people in Cape Town? And I mean, you just can't, you know. <laughs> But, but one thing I do know is that God has called us to be the vehicle through whom he reaches the entire city of Cape Town. So whatever we do, we've got to have a big vision. We've got to have a big vision for our city. Amen? 
So there's a couple of things I felt the Lord impressing on me that I feel he wants to impress on you. Um, and one of the things I felt him impressing on me is, this is going to sound foolish, but it's also the, the point, is stay foolish. <laughs> Let me read it for you in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 26, I'm talking about the nature of God's kingdom and God, what God's called us to. He's called us as a people to stay foolish. Um, I want to read 1 Corinthians, we got it, chapter 1. There's something very profound in this which I saw with new eyes recently, and I'm hoping you will see with new eyes again. Is brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And he did this so that no one may boast. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So God, 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 God's plan is to reach this entire city, and he plans to do that using a bunch of fools. That takes the pressure off, eh? <laughs> he, uses he uses the fools. Now, what, what do I mean by that? He, he uses the weak. He uses the nobodies. He uses the nothings. People like me. People like you. So long as we stay fools. And what do I mean by that? You know, when we come to Christ, you just all you know is grace. It's just like, God, I... I don't have anything to give. I've just got sin to give. And you're overwhelmed by his grace. And you find grace because of your weakness. And he uses people like that. He stops using people like that when they stop being fools. When they stop seeing how weak they are. When you start thinking you know lots of things and you've gained lots of experience and you've got lots to give. That's when he stops using you because that's when you stop experiencing God's grace. And so I feel like we are a congregation that is full of grace. We are. How do I know that? Because I took a team of like, how many people were we? Close. 24 people. And there was just grace flowing. And we didn't pick that team. It was just anybody who was willing to come. And there was grace flowing. Why? Because we're foolish. We don't know anything. We've got nothing to give but Jesus. And the joy that we found in him. And so we need to stay foolish. Um, I want to just share a few stories. And this is not to embarrass anybody. But it's just to illustrate the point. I'm just going to use the example of Butler. The one night. Um, one night we were in Heritage um, Church. Which is a very fancy church. Um, it's quite intimidating. Even just the building. It's like wow. These guys are. Serious, like this is this is a proper church. There's <laughs> a lot of money here, a lot of. It, it, it's an intimidating place to go, and it's a, it's a well-established church. So we're having an elders and deacons meeting, right? 
the who's who, the most important people in the church. And uh, I asked Butler to lead worship at the elders and deacons meeting. And she was, she was keen, like she always is. She's like, oh, just so you know, like I, I will need somebody to accompany me on an instrument because I can't play an instrument because I don't have my ukulele here, and that's all I can play. It's like, okay, cool. So I messaged somebody, and um, he came, but he didn't bring his instrument. <laughs> so Butle was playing on the piano beforehand. She was just practicing a few songs. She's kind of learning piano, and she was pra- practicing a couple of songs. I was like, look, Sounded great to me. <laughs> Just play whatever songs you practice. So she like had like 15 minutes to practice. Now she's going to lead worship with the elders and deacons. And I could tell she's super nervous. <laughs> but you know what? Like Within the first 30 seconds of her playing on the keys, the presence of the Lord came upon that place. And people just started crying the presence of Jesus was just thick in that place. Like elders were crying. And she hadn't even gotten to the lyrics of the song yet. The lyrics of a song that I hadn't even heard before. Um, and it was just a fresh reminder for me, you know. Like, God's not fancy. He's just looking for a heart that loves him. You know? He's, 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 he's not looking for the professionals. He's looking for people who are devoted to him. Who have given their lives to him are living instruments to be used for his glory you know i'm going to keep teasing bootle because we were in south carolina um, and we had a picnic on the lake side and it was a great picnic there's nothing wrong with the picnic but it needed a little bit of spice <laughs> so at one point bootle says to the host you know it's been a great party but we need music we want to dance. So they take Alexa, which is their little machine that plays music that you talk to, like a robotic, and they put Alexa on a lead, and they take Alexa on a lead out onto the grass, and Bootle's the DJ, she starts playing some songs, and this huge dance party breaks out, and you've got all the Americans who can't dance. <laughs> I mean, they can do a lot of things well, but dancing's not a strong point. And there's this huge dance party that breaks out on, on the, and Bootle's obviously the, the chief the chief suspect leading. So I, 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 I teased uh, Butle like, you, you've got a ministry of dance, you know. <laughs> but you've got to be careful with my sense of humor because it's sometimes very prophetic. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to heritage, and Butle sends this prophetic word through in the morning, like the Lord wants to break open high praise, and it's going to be wild dancing and Peter and myself are listening to this message, and that's not the heritage's vibe. That's not, high praise is not really a vibe there, you know. And so, like, and, and Butle is on worship that morning. She's not leading worship, but she's on worship. So anyway, Butle starts cracking open that song that we sing. You know that, uh, how, what song is it, Sans? Or you? Is it Bayeti? Bayeti. So she's singing a, 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 an African song. They don't know the words, and it, but something cracks in that place, and people just start dancing. Next minute, you, it just escalates and escalates. Eventually, people are stage diving <laughs> off of their stage. And it was just, so I, that's when the joke was on Butle, because now she's the, she's the her ministry of dance. So like I go up to Butle on the stage, I'm like, you need to lead the congregation in dance. 
which is exactly what she does. She just she starts singing and she starts teaching them all the dance moves. And next, it's like a party in there. It feels like City Bowl, like an average morning, right? And again, it's just a thing of like, she's not a professional, we're not professionals, but something beautiful happened that morning. People came to me afterwards and said, that was the best worship we've ever had at Heritage in all the years we've been here. And the people there are thinking like, Butle is like, um, like this mega worship leader, you know, famous around the nations, you know. <laughs> And, and, I, and I'm just being honest and like, yeah, she has, I think she recently joined the worship team. I asked Butley, have you joined the worship team? She's like, yeah, but I haven't really been to a practice or anything. But they're in heritage. <laughs> Butley is all you need. For a... <laughs> so I thought it only good that Butley actually officially joined the worship team this morning. It's like, now that you're back in City Ball, maybe it's time. <laughs> Shem, I didn't even ask you if I could share this story. <laughs> but, you know, and I'm going to share some more of her testimony because it feels like it's the vibe. You know, she, she was, like, actually insecure on that trip. Like, what have I got to bring on this trip? Like, I'm not a leader. Like, what am I even doing here? But, like we just read here, who, which one of you, when God called you, was influential or wise or famous or gifted? Which one of us? I definitely wasn't. I was a mess. So were you. The, 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 the encouragement and, the, and, the, and the, the warning of Scripture is stay foolish. <laughs> stay foolish. Don't ever get to the place where you become a know-it-all and I'm gifted and I've got a lot to bring. And when someone's going to recognize me? No. Not, that's not true of you and it's not true of me. I'm a fool. And, I, and God wants us to, to be willing to be fools for him. Amen? Willing to be fools. I remember just on this topic, and this is not a high point, but it will definitely amuse you to no end, but I'll share anyway, although it doesn't put me in a very good light. So we were doing this one tour of, of um, Beverly Hills, and we're cruising the streets, and it's where all the who's who live, you know? <clears throat> Massive houses. Um, and while we're driving, somebody says, Look, there's Bruce Willis. <laughs> and I was very dubious. <laughs> it didn't look like Bruce Willis to me. <laughs> I know he's sick and everything, but Oak looked very sick. Like he, it was a, definitely a shadow of his former self if it was Bruce Willis. So anyway, someone's like, hey, maybe we should jump out of the bus and go and pray for him. And everything inside of me was like cringing, <laughs> cringing. Because, number one, I doubted their motivations for wanting to go and pray for him. <laughs> Not sure if it was to get the autograph or to pray for and bless the guy. Number two, I don't think that would have been his sort of vibe, you know. He's got like a bit of a swagger, and it's Bruce Willis, you know what I mean? So, and everything inside of me was cringing. Um, and I felt the Lord challenging me after that, like the next day. Like, why were you cringing? And I felt like I didn't want to be a fool. I didn't want to be a... You know, like, it was just a foolish, it would be like a foolish thing. You would think we're a bunch of idiots, which we are. <laughs> I am an idiot, right? Well, to be a follower of Christ means by default you are a fool. You will be mocked. Jesus said, they mock me, they, they, they made fun of me, they'll, they'll mock you, they make fun of you. 
there's something I realize there's something inside of me that still needs to die. I still care what people think. I still don't want people to think I'm a Jesus fool. But I am, and so are you. And so to, I feel the, 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 the reminder that to go on experiencing the grace of Christ means to go on being a fool for Christ and to, to be willing to be foolish. And I think that's true in California, but it's also true for us here in Cape Town. We are in a very cool culture, and it is hard to be a Christian in such a trendy, cool culture. Do you know what I mean? But he's called us to be, to be foolish. And, and the, the, the thing about it is that fools experience God's grace. Pharisees don't. Pharisees are the cool kids. They're the ones that know it all. They've got, they've got it all together. They, they're the professional Christians. They don't experience the grace of Christ. The fools do. I, I did a sermon in Heritage on the Pharisee and the woman at his feet. And Jesus got invited to Simon's house, the Pharisee. And then there's the woman at his feet. And Jesus said, you know, when I walked in here, you didn't wash my feet. This woman hasn't stopped washing my feet with her tears since I came in. You didn't anoint me, but she has poured out her perfume on my feet. And he ended that story by saying, those who've been forgiven much, love much. You know, and there's something so beautiful about that story. She, all she cared about was the presence of Jesus. She didn't care about what people think. She didn't care about what people were saying. She didn't even seem to recognize anyone else in the room. All she cared about was that she was with Jesus. And he had been her savior. He had forgiven her sins. He'd given her life. The Pharisee, all he thought about was himself. But she's the one that experienced the grace, not the Pharisee. Amen? And I feel like the Lord's saying to us as his people, continue to be the woman at his feet that just loves the presence of Jesus. Don't ever forget what he saved you from, from and what is still saving you from, that his presence would always be enough for us. And we would not care at all whatever anyone thinks, so long as we with Jesus. Amen? Something so beautiful about that. One of the things I feel like the Lord's going to do with us is He's going to give you guys ideas, creative ideas for reaching the lost. One of the things that I've often experienced, and it's been a huge source of frustration for me, I have a real evangelist's heart. Anyone that knows me well knows that my heart is regularly wrecked for the lost. I have a real heart to reach the lost, but I'm very bad at it. I'm very bad at reaching the lost. And I've often had strategies and and ideas for evangelism, and most of them have failed. But the curious thing about it is I inspire people to reach the lost, and their ideas work. I'll give you a very silly example, which makes me look like an idiot again. But, hey, I'm a fool for Christ. So well, I remember we were doing orientation week at, at Varsity, and we were discussing ideas about what could we do to reach the lost. And somebody had suggested the idea of doing a quiz night where we have, like, question, you know what a quiz night is. You know, like one of those fun evenings where we get everybody together. And I'll be honest, in my mind I was thinking, that'll never work. <laughs> I can't believe I even suggested that idea. I can't remember what my idea was, but, and it was a rip-roaring success. 
was the most successful outreach we've ever had at UCT that I can recall. It was packed. And lots of people came to church afterwards. And it's happened so many times that I'm content to be the one whose heart is wrecked for Jesus, whose ideas never work. But yours do. (laughs) And if that's the way the Lord's ordained it, so be it. And I feel like, now I'm speaking prophetically, I feel like the Lord's going to give you guys ideas to reach the lost that are going to work. Creative ideas. So I want you to just consider that and pray about that. And when you've got ideas, you bring them to me and I'll promise not to laugh. Amen? I feel like the Lord also wants us, many of us, many of us need to get back into the places where lost people are. Some of us maybe have a lot of people working that you're working with that are unsaved and you've got bridges there. Many of us don't even have that. Not the Lord challenging me. I need to get into the places. So I've even been thinking about like, what fun things can I do that are passions of mine? Maybe even gang up with a few friends that we can intentionally do with the purpose of having fun. But that's the secondary benefit. But actually the purpose of reaching the lost and getting to build friendships with unbelievers again. Amen? Will you give that some thought? I want to just close by, 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 by reminding you of community. I've heard that you guys have had a break in the month of June. So it is true that when the cat's away, the mice take a break. <laughs> and I'm glad that you guys have taken a break because I feel like the Lord wants to actually reset the way we think about community. Even what we do on a Wednesday night. I feel like what happened was we got into a bit of a rut with communities. And I think for some of us, maybe not all of us, actually lost the value of why we do community. And how precious it actually is. Um, I don't know if you'll get a chance to share it now. But when we were in South Carolina, some of the ladies from our congregation were sharing about what community has done for them. Maybe it would actually be, would you guys like to hear one, one story? Maybe Butler, why, why don't you come share that story? Why don't you? Are you going to dance it or are you going to sing it? Okay. <laughs> um, so I joined this congregation about a year ago this month. Actually, it's going to be a year. And... Um, I moved from Sunningdale Congregation, and I felt the Lord tell me that I need to get plugged in and um, get involved with the students and the community. Um, and for me, community was a very healing space because I had this, like, I'm independent thing, but it was actually just an orphan spirit, um, and I felt very lonely. And then I joined community, and for me, like, when I moved to City Bowl, I told the Lord, okay, on one condition, I have to get a really dope community. So I went to many communities, um, and then I ended up going to Matt and John's community, and that community, they weren't having a proper community. They were just, like, eating and chilling, Um, and then we started playing 30 seconds, and it got so competitive. And now we're shouting at each other. We're like, no! And then (laughs) one of the... (laughs) (laughs) it was tense it was tense 
Um, and then one of the people, Denise, came to Jeanne and she was like, if it was my first time in that com, I wouldn't come back. <laughs> and I left saying, thank you, Lord, for putting me in my community. <laughs> Um, and I think community for me is just like, has been so healing because I'm building family and relationships with people and people know me so well. Um, and throughout this year, I've been going through such a rough season and it's been the people in my calm who are like, you actually don't look okay. Like what's happening? And like following me to the bathroom because they want to comfort me and pray for me and point me back to Jesus. And it really demolished that orphan spirit thing. Um, and yeah, community is very healing for me. feels like God wants to restore to us again how beautiful community actually is. And I think sometimes because it's something we may have experienced so much of, we can take it for granted. And, but to remember what it was like when you first joined community. You found family. You found a place where you can um, really care for one another and get to know one another and have fun together. And you know, like this, it's very limited what we can do here on a Sunday. The real church is what happens in the week. We've often said that, but I, I think we've, because we've often said it, we've forgotten how true it actually is. It's where the fun happens. It's where the refreshing happens. And it's also midweek when you're feeling bogged down by the world, where the, you've been surrounded by negativity and hopelessness and sinfulness, and it gets you down, man. And community is that light in the week where you can be with the people of the Lord and refresh one another. Amen? So, uh, but I, all, I also want to challenge you in that community. Remember I mentioned this kingdom and community. Community is also where discipleship happens. I would say in Josh Jen, it's probably where most of the discipleship happens. The interesting thing about the way we build church, we, we're not aiming for a mega church with thousands of people. Well, we are, but we aren't. We, 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 we are aiming for health where discipleship happens, where people actually be, get, get shaped and transformed through discipleship into the image of Christ. Mega churches are actually fairly easy to build. You just have to have one very gifted speaker. What we are doing is harder. And what we are doing requires every single person. Because you can't have one person discipling hundreds of people, not the way Jesus wants us to. You actually need the whole church. You actually need every single person to be playing their part. And so what we are trying to do is we are trying to not just make build a crowd. We actually want to disciple people to be Christians, as I was saying earlier. Christian means to be a little Christ, to be someone that reflects the nature of Christ. And for that, you need a body. You, ca you, can't, just, you can't just have a mega preacher on a Sunday. And so we do want to reach the whole city. So we want to do the impossible here. We want to reach the whole city, which requires a mega church. But we don't want to just get them saved. We want to disciple them into the image of Christ, which is, which is huge amounts of work. Which means, not only is it not ideal for a few to be doing it, it's actually impossible for a few to be doing it. We need the whole body. We need each part 
to play its part. You know, there's far more teaching that happens in the church than what I do. It happens when you teach each other, when you care for one another and you encourage one another and warn and correct and teach each other. The Bible speaks about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's far more discipleship that's needed than what we can do on a Sunday. And it happens in communities. It happens among one another. And so we'll probably talk more about it, but one of the things I really want to encourage you in is if your community is still the same bunch of people that it was two years ago, something is very wrong. Because communities is a place where discipleship happens, and discipleship includes drawing in the lost. And so I want to challenge you. When last did you invite somebody to community who came into church on a Sunday and is looking for family? You know, the quickest way to grow your community, yes, you can invite your unsaved friends. Keep doing that. But a lot of unsaved people are coming through these doors over here. And people that are looking for what you already have. And so I would love it if we could have a culture where we draw people into community, those who are not our friends, those who we don't yet know, haven't yet built deeply with. Because there's this danger that you know people are going to come in and rock our boats because we've got such a nice thing going at community. Well, actually, the nice thing that we've got going is that the kingdom of God is growing on the earth, and we want to reproduce in others what God has done in us. Amen? And so I want to ch- challenge you. Don't let anybody come through these doors on a Sunday morning that's looking for family, that's lonely, that's looking for Jesus, that you meet, that you don't include into your lives, into community. Usually it's the same people that do that, and their communities are the biggest. And everyone wonders why their community is so big. It's just because they're drawing in people like we're all supposed to be doing. Amen? So I want to leave you with that challenge. There's a lot more I could say, but I'm, probably, I'm, going, to, I'm going to close there. I, I, I'd love us to actually pray, pray together now and actually have a bit of worship Jesus as we close. Is that cool? Not like the Lord wasn't finished with us in worship. I feel like... Um, be good for us to, to pray together now, but actually to worship God again as we, as we end off.